Voices of the Temple, official podcast of the Temple of Witchcraft, exploring mystery and magic through love, will, and wisdom, hosted by Adam Sartwell. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Voices of the Temple. Today we have a very special podcast for you. We will be reading some accounts and playing some of the recorded stuff that we did in Glastonbury. Um, People will be giving their stories. Um, If you don't know, the temple took a retreat to Glastonbury, England. We had a great time and did so many wonderful things, but we came back and we wanted to give back to the temple in a way where everyone could hear our experiences, what we went through, what we loved about the trip, and get to see some of our pictures. We did so many things during the trip. Um, We had Ritual and Stonehenge, which blows my mind. Uh, We had the usage of the Chalicewell Gardens, which, if you have a chance to go to Glastonbury, is beautiful and it's well worth the trip. Um, we went to the Red Well, the White Well, the Tor, Gog and Magog. Um, there are just so many things that I can't fit it all into this little intro. So I will do my best to get everyone who sent me immaterial heard. Uh, we have a little interview of Steve and Christopher uh, giving their stuff. I'll be reading some of the accounts from some of the people who sent them to me. And I also have one um, from Krista who tells us all about her experiences on the tour. Uh, I think you'll really enjoy our podcast and hearing some of our stories and seeing some of our pictures. But first... Let's get into our ritual listening space by calling on the Great Spirit and the God and the Goddess. I call to the Great Spirit, to the two who move as one, through the three rays of love, will, and wisdom. I call upon the Goddess, Maiden, Mother, Crone, past, present, and future, creator, sustainer, and destroyer, weaver of the web. I call to the God, Lord of light and Lord of darkness, God of the green and the gold, God of the horn and the red, singer of the song. Be with us now and forever, so mote it be. We'll start our accounts with Krista's story. Hello, Temple Podcast. This is Krista. And Adam has asked us to just say a few words about some personal experiences. Uh, There was one out of the very many personal experiences that I thought would be most appropriate to share with you across the world, wherever you are. Uh, As you may know, Glastonbury is a place of uh, rich heritage. And namely, the tour uh, is a place where many people seek to have uh, a personal experience on the tour, which is not often spoke about, but there are grazing sheep. And it's quite fun to uh, climb the tour and to see nature all around you. So while you're 
experiencing the, the spiritual and the unseen, sometimes the seen can give you an, an additional personal experience. For myself, I went up to the tour at sunrise and watched the sun gradually come above the horizon and see its rays hit the hill, the top, the structures. It was magnificent. After my time there, I, I started to go down and the sheep were at the very top of the tour. They were, in fact, they were walking through the structure. There's an archway there and they would clip-clop through and uh, rub up against the sides. And it was just lovely to, to see them really inhabit the space just as much as, as I would. Well, I'm climbing down the tour, stepping down. And having sat there for a bit, I had come to recognize a few of the calls, uh, namely this this one bleat that, uh, forgive, forgive me audience, but kind of sounded like a bah. And it was uh, a mother sheep calling to the baby sheep and, and out of the space, you would hear this little bah. Well, on my way down, I noticed that there was this one sheep by itself. And I thought, gosh, you know, sometimes I feel like this sheep, perhaps wayward, perhaps out of place. And yet the flock is all around, but this one sheep just was nowhere near any of the others. And I reflected upon it and um, continued on my way. Well, I'm going down and I've passed the flock at this point and I hear this blah. And I think, oh, there's the mother sheep. I turn around and it was the one lonely sheep. And out of the flock comes this little sheep running towards this mother sheep all by herself. Bah, bah, and it's just running down and, and joins and um, it, it looked like it was frolicking, honestly. And I looked at that because I was coming down the hill, I saw the mother sheep, the baby sheep, the rising sun, the tour itself, the structure. And I thought, goodness, isn't this how we are with the goddess. Aren't we at times the baby sheep hearing her call and we come running to her and she may be in the midst of others or she may be out on her own, but yet when we hear her call, some of us come running up and we happily join with her and continue on to our own journey, our own sustenance and continue on growing. And uh, and I think that was very profound because we are not the only faith tradition to, to have sheep within it and to have this idea of being called home, being called to, to join others, um, being called to join what essentially are spiritual parents um, and life sustainers. And for me, I think this is the moment that I'd like to share with you, Temple Podcast, is the sense of no matter where you are, whether you're with others or on your own, to hear that call and um, perhaps to come running and find that moment where the sun is rising and is gazing out and giving you warmth and sustenance, whether it be a goddess, a person, a nature, um, but to listen for that call 
You never know when it will come. Thank you. Now that we've um, done listening to Krista's wonderful story about the sheep, I'm going to read to you an excerpt from Jocelyn's Journal of the Trip. We are staying in the Chalice Well House, which is a nonprofit dedicated to preserving the historic Red Well. The kitchens here are vegetarian, and I have to say I was worried, but Jessica is managing to feed even me. After, after dinner, we went out to the garden, and we had what was intended to be a small ritual in honor of Hecate, whose day it was. I intended because the outline we discussed before going out was pretty simple. Cast circle, make an offering, journey, close. Hecate had other plans for us. The offering of honey became more elaborate, with each of us getting a small crystal quartz sliver and taking some honey. This was created at the last moment by Krista and Jessica. It felt like some sort of amazing, magical gift. During the meditation, Hakate spoke to me plainly. She waited to use my voice to address the group. She wanted, to find, wanted me to find my courage, and had a message that we all needed to hear. After our journey, Christopher picked up the candle which was burning in the chalice, and was inspired to have us pass it, giving her blessings to our neighbor in the circle. When it got to me, I allowed her to speak through me to the circle. I was very nervous about this and worried that it would disrupt the ritual. After we were done, and we went back in, in to decompress and talk about our experiences, several people felt that Hakate speaking through me had been speaking directly to them. It was a relief to know that I had done the right thing. I read that excerpt from Jocelyn's journal because it had a very personal and special meaning to me. Um, during my meditation, Hakate came and gave me a message. Though it made me realize, after I came out, that my filter is a little different than Jocelyn's. I had come out with a don't do this, don't do that kind of message, whereas when Jocelyn spoke and allowed Hakate to speak through her, uh, it was framed in a positive way, in a way that leads you towards light. Um, and though I'm not going to share the personal message that was given, it was interesting to hear the message come from a different psychic in the circle and be rephrased in a way that was positive and life-affirming. And I really felt that that was a very special moment in our journey together. I'm going to read another excerpt from Jocelyn's journal. And I found this very interesting and such a great part of our trip together, um, because during this, I felt like this was very important and very powerful thing, that we are not 
just the body that we live in now. We are the bodies of and spirits of people from the past. And we all have past lives, and it's so interesting to come to a place where you say, wow, I am having this feeling uh, about this place, but it isn't the same as it is now. I'll just read it to you and see if you understand what I'm trying to say. Wednesday, August 17th. I woke refreshed this morning. Our morning, our morning trek was to Cadbury Castle. This hill fort is speculated to be the site of King Arthur's court. There is not much that remains of whatever was here except for the clear outline of a fairly circular wall surrounding the top of the hill, and a well at its highest point. Cows live here now. Journal quote. As I walked up the path, I felt the age of the stones beneath my feet. When I was able to see the remains of the wall through the trees, I felt an intense feeling of homecoming. I felt and saw a distinct shift in time. And I was looking through another's eyes at another time in a thriving village, home. I was home. Just being on the hill in the town, despite its current use as a cow pasture, was invigorating. I was a traveler, destined to keep moving. But here was where I knew and loved the people best. We had a ritual at the well to bless this space and to receive a blessing from it. This well was an ancient meeting place, and the town grew up around it. I felt very connected to the people here. I just wanted to read that because from Jocelyn's accounts of it, it was a very powerful and very visceral feeling of coming home and just what a blessing to actually reconnect to a space. So I have another story to read to you from Shay Morgan that has to actually do with me a little bit. Um, so, but it has a little bit of backstory um, to it because she connected to a plant spirit before she came to Glastonbury, and that spirit awakening really took hold in Glastonbury. My journey with Yarrow. I have quite an, an experience with Yarrow over this past year. It has all started this last year on a trip to the ocean. I was reading a book on plant communication and used the vibrate in harmony with meditation to communicate with plant spirits. One of the first I chose was yarrow, for some reason. This was right before I started my new job. Of course, we know these inspirations always come for a specific reason, and I was about to find out. I had some communication with Yarrow throughout the year, though always kind of on the periphery of my life. In June, I had 
a situation where I needed Yarrow's help with boundaries, and Christopher recommended Yarrow to me as an essence. I have three huge Yarrow plants for years in my garden. And though beautiful and clearly happy in my garden, we'd never really sat and talked. They are pink, yellow, and white. I always was meant to do a flower essence, but somehow I never got around to it, as they say. I did another Vibrate in Harmony with Meditation with Yarrow again, and sat with Yarrow to ask its permission to take a flower essence. Permission was granted, and I was instructed that three flowers were to be picked for this flower essence. I made my second flower essence ever out of Yarrow that day. I had made one from Bleeding Heart before it. It was a great feeling. I'd started offering my hair in return for a spirit for the spirit of the plant. I'd been talking to Yarrow Essence every day since I'd made it in June. July came and one day I was particularly challenging and during an acupuncture moment uh, appointment I actually f- felt called to do the same meditation with Yarrow not realizing the trend at this point. I had worked to establish my boundaries and my shields and felt marked improvement in the next day. And then came the Glastonbury travel in August. We went to Stonehenge to do an amazing ritual. At Stonehenge, after the ritual, Adam suggested we pick a yarrow from the edge of the stones where it had been growing and make it into an essence. And of course, Adam had to, for some reason, say that to me. I always love how a plan comes together. Plants do have their ways. Plant spirits, that is. I thought, what a brilliant idea. I asked Yarrow's blessing and picked Yarrow from around at least three different stones. Most were white, but one big pink one was by itself inside the circle right next to a stone that Adam pointed out. So I went and pulled it, and it came out, root and all. Adam and I conspired that we would make a yarrow flower essence in the morning. We did. We used red chalice water for the essence and whiskey and that we'd been using as an offering every everywhere we went on our Glastonbury pilgrimage. It was a a week-long process making the yarrow essence. We used all three flowers. We let the essence cook under the skylight for sun and the moonlight. I added a mix of red and white water essences to our final Glastonbury journeys, as well as to the bottles when we moved when then to our joint pilgrimage altar. We were going to use the root of the pink yarrow, but Adam suggested that I keep the pink yarrow root for a fetish. I did keep it, tucked carefully away in my bag, and it actually made it all the way back to St. Louis alive before it made its final sacrifice to become my yarrow fetish. I began to make the fetish this October, which is the culmination of my Witchcraft 3 shamanic year-long 
online class. Perfect timing, of course. Yet my journey was not complete with Yarrow. After teaching a teaching by Christopher on August 17th on the red and white serpents of the chalice well, we did a journey in the green garden. During that journey, after several animals, including deer, rabbit, and wolf, I jumped on the back of a brown horse with a white star ablaze and flew past the tor and back to the Cadbury Castle ruins. When I arrived there, the Yarrow spirit came to me. I did not have the specific intention to meet Yarrow or to ask for a plant ally in this journey, though I knew, going to our Glastonbury trip, that I would receive a plant medicine as it was tied to my Witchcraft 3 homework. The Yarrow spirit was pink and happy, with Adam and I on the way we had honored her. She laughed and then went away. The vortex was open from where we had opened it in the ritual earlier that day, and then my journey continued with a journey into a crystal stone ally to meet the Ascendant Masters of Crystal. But for Yarrow and our journey together, it was clear now that Yarrow is a spirit medicine ally for me. Since I've been home, there have been many long-standing physical issues that I finally decided I needed help with. I consulted a friend about herbal remedies. It turned out, to my surprise, that Yarrow was the perfect remedy. I upped my dosage of Yarrow to match the physical, physical need and I have felt vast improvements in the fast, past few weeks. All of these events have conspired to draw me closer to Yarrow. Yarrow was really there for me when I needed her, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, both gentle and healing, yet strong and protective. I have a lot more to learn about her and to look forward to our deepening relationship as partners in the plant-spirit world over the next coming years. In gratitude to the spirit of Yarrow. I felt that was particularly poignant because it was amazing how many of us found our connections to the spirit realm while we were there. A lot of our journeys and things that we did there were all guided by spirit and not we did a little planning, but a lot of the planning was done by our communion with the spirits of the land there and what we could and couldn't do during which time. And we did a meditation at most of the places that we went to. So I feel like this Yarrow story really should be in the, this podcast because I feel like we've all made very strong spirit connections. And now, without further ado, I will bring up Christopher and Steve's little interview with each other about Glastonbury. All right, I don't really even know what to say about Glastonbury. It's, it's a little bit over a month out, and uh, it's still an amazing experience. I'm still kind of recovering from it. It, it really was uh, a pretty incredible experience. It seems like, in some ways, it was so very long ago yet like just last week yeah. exactly yeah, exactly I, uh, I think probably one of my most intense experiences about it that i, I can talk about was stonehenge um, 
for me, I think Stonehenge hit me really hard just thinking about how many people have been doing ceremony over there over thousands of years. And even though we might not be connected to them directly, kind of connected in that, that chain. Yeah. I agree. I, it was interesting about the, the energy or the experience of Stonehenge was I expected it to be really uh, this potent electrical almost charge to it. And instead, I really felt that Stonehenge's energy or presence was really very, very deep. It was more magnetic. I yeah. I use those words, you know? Yeah, very, very deep within the earth and, and not um, this sort of tingling presence that you immediately felt you you were I was always immediately impressed by how awesome the stones are up close but in terms of the presence of the ancestors I just felt it, it very very deep, deep down yeah I really wonder too you know if we have the opportunity to do ceremony ever there ever again um, you know I visited there a couple times on our own just as tourists and never got to go inside the stones but each time it was a different season and it all felt a little different. Like I remember the first time we went out, it felt like it was very heaven to earth, kind of a little bit more electrical, I think, from the outside. And then the second time we visited it, it seemed a little quieter. Like, you know, I wasn't as impressed with it. And mm. this time in the stones, it felt like very earth to underworld, very deep. That's yeah. true. That's true. And our previous visits were in the l very late fall, um, you know, almost edging into winter. So. It might be interesting to know if there were some seasonal differences to the way the, the energies there feel. Right, or astrological or, you know, whatever else might mm. be going on. So what was your experience like at Stonehenge? You did a, a really beautiful invocation to the ancestors, which... Thank you. You don't uh, seem to remember. <laughs> yeah, it was just it, it, what came through came through. Um, it, was, it was a great experience overall um it was it was kind of uh kind of mind-blowing in some ways just being in the presence of that much history yeah yeah i felt because when you started to do the invocation it started to rain a little bit heavier at the time and i just felt like there was just like the blood of the ancestors pouring over us in a good way not in a <laughs> scary sort of way but um for me i had this whole conversation with uh jessica who is one of our organizers of the trip and one of your uh co-students from one of the first Witchcraft Ones mm -hmm. classes, which is pretty amazing. And uh, she and I had this whole conversation about the Buddhist concept of termas and the idea that masters from previous ages or even what we might think of as gods and goddesses hid in certain secret spots teachings that specific people mm. are supposed to kind of bring out. And she's working with a, a terma from a teacher from Ireland, or what you'd call a terma, um, about the Emerald Wave coming off of Ireland. She spoke a little bit about that to us. And, and I really felt like going there, I, I didn't... I was thinking about the concept of termos for a while and really feeling like there was something to retrieve um, from Stonehenge, you know, not just for me personally, but for the temple and for the work. And it was interesting when we did the meditation, I felt like a big download of mm -hmm. sacred geometry and uh, proportions and almost temple building, which is kind of appropriate for some of the stuff we're doing. And uh, I wonder how, it, it really a lot of it was nonlinear for me at this moment. I couldn't really pull out math or geometry for you right now, but I feel like it's planted mm -hmm. deep inside me. And I think we need to build you mm -hmm. know for the temple i think that will play play a little bit in our proportions of, of creating sacred space but interesting it's a little of what i felt i got out of it i actually felt that kind of experience much more at the chalice well um, than at stonehenge okay. while at stonehenge i really felt the the deep presence of the ancestors at the chalice well i guess it just the energies there feel more active and maybe it's just that upwelling of sacred energy, but um, I just felt with the chalice well that there was much more activity 
present there, and there was just this this outpouring of of both energy and just sort of spirit that was really looking to connect. I would agree with that. I would say Chalice Well Gardens were much more active, both in terms of nature spirits and kind of underworld, ancestral deity, goddess kind of energies mm -hmm. pouring out. But I wonder if it's the pressure of the well kind of bringing things up along with the water. Mm. Um, I felt I had to reach deep for Stonehenge, but I was yes. kind of directed to reach deep, you know, but I think if you didn't take the time to reach, you wouldn't really get anything. Mm -hmm. But I think um, things were much more ever-present in the Chalice Well Gardens. I remember having a, a little um, experience of Dion Fortune coming through in one of my morning meditations before we began, and she was very present in, in the gardens, and um, some what I would call, and uh, talking to our friend Kala, Kala Trobe, uh, another author and occultist in, in the Glastonbury area. She talked about the watcher spirits that are in the Chalice Well Garden. I definitely felt mm -hmm. that presence, yep. um, kind of overlooking and saying, yep, you're okay to be here. And, and none of them really had conversation with me, but the spirits that had conversation were much more kind of rising up from the well. Mm -hmm. yeah, no, I, the watchers are much more sort of silent guardians, yeah. uh, if sentinels, really, yeah, that's if anything. How I felt them. Absolutely. I really liked our progress in the in the chalice well of how our workings and meditations began at the the very base of the hill uh, where the the waters flow into the Vesica Pisces pool and progressed up the hill towards the the, the wellhead itself and you know went through many different levels of deepening uh, our connection to the the well into the land to the ancestors and made this whole progression. I really think that that made the later workings that much more uh, effective because we built up that energy. I'm glad to hear that. I have to tell you, I was scared stiff going out to it. Uh, I had nothing prepared for, you know, the workshop and meditation stuff that I was leading. I really felt to, you know, be in New England and create something would have been, without really feeling the energies, would have been disingenuous. So I really just kind of trusted the spirits of guiding us on this trip that when I got there, I'd figure out what we're doing each night. And it just became really apparent the first night that we're there after the, the Feast of Hecate circle we did, mm -hmm. um, which was in a totally different part of the garden, that that was a separate working for her and that um, the Chalice Well spirit working was going up the hill, starting at that pool. And just in the first night, it kind of came to me, or the, first, the next morning on Sunday morning, it came to me of you know, where we're going to go. And each night, I didn't know what we're doing until we got there. I just knew that was the place where we had to be. And, mm -hmm. and it, was, it was really amazing to receive that, too. So I'm glad that worked for you. I felt it was uh, a little too intense to approach the wellhead first. Mm -hmm. You know, I felt like we needed to go through the guardians that I felt there, and, and not just the watchers we just talked about, but kind of like the earth spirits, and particularly the hawthorn tree, kind of as a, a different type of sentinel, and kind of move up and connect to ourselves, and connect to our ancestors, and to connect to the spirits of place, and then to this kind of cosmic, kind of Aquarian rush of energy coming out of the, the mm -hmm. pools for me. Mm -hmm. No, I agree. And I really loved how we were able to, in the final working, come to the wellhead in at night pretty much almost in absolute darkness mm. and really uh, approach it in that uh, subterranean depths uh, way uh, where you're you're feeling your way through the dark and the gardens take on such a different quality uh, that late at night and have this fairy-like nature where they seem so much vaster mm. than they actually are, and you can feel like you've been wandering the paths um, forever. Yeah, it was very labyrinth-like. It was. Going to the, the chalice well. 
it was, I remember walking some of those paths in the daylight and realizing that they had been places I had been through in our nighttime rituals or even just my own nighttime meditations and that just have a very different quality in the daylight um, than they do at night. Yeah, absolutely. So should we tell them the tiger story? You just love the tiger story. I love the tiger story because it just, it's so surreal. You know, Kala had said to us, or said to me, um, that, you know, she's the only person, we're the only people she knows that had experienced tiger energy in Stonehenge. But Mm -hmm. um, for those who want a little funny story, um, when you work at, when you go to Stonehenge and and you rent it out for ceremony, you need a certain number of people to have control over the space. And if not, they might sell other spaces, um, even if you've paid for all the spaces, which I thought was kind of strange. And so we had three short of what we needed. Um, to have full control, but we're going to do a ceremony. Nobody had any problems with that, and we had paid for all the spaces. And um, so we're in Stonehenge, and they make this big deal about you can't touch the stones because there's actually lichen growing on the stones. And um, there used to be over 90 species of it, and now when people touch it, it dies, and there's around 70-something species. Mm-hmm. 73. So they're trying to, 73, so they're trying to preserve it. Um, and so they make a big deal if you touch any of the stones, even the ones on the ground, if you step on them, whatever, everybody gets thrown out. So we're in doing our ceremony. It's starting to drizzle, and we're already kind of getting our place, and John's played some music, and, and we cast circle, and we're starting to call the quarters. And uh, I look to the west, and there's two people I didn't recognize, not in the circle, but kind of just outside of it, kind of mimicking what we're doing, being respectful. And one was kind of dressed as an average kind of college student and a little bit of flannel and um, looked you know, typically normal. And then the other one, what was the other one wearing? <laughs> the other one was dressed in a tiger suit. It was like he had a PJ's Garanimal hoodie of a tiger, um, complete with like a onesie with tiger pants and, and, you know, a tail. Kind of an escapee from where the wild things are. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It was kind of surreal. And I just noticed them, and I thought, okay, maybe Stonehenge let them in, and, you know, they were kind of our guests for it. And, and I was about to break circle to let them into the circle, and then something told me just to keep going, so I kept going. Um, and then I saw security go over to them. <laughs> Did you happen to see any of that, or you? Well, you know, I have to. I have to make a confession. Yeah. I was so involved in my meditation and so involved in the ritual and my invocation, I didn't see any of this. Any of this? That's. It all happened very much at the beginning, and they were out by then. So security grabs them by the shoulder and starts talking to them and pulls them away from our circle, um, and then tiger suit guy runs away um, and is able to break this through. There's two security guys there there, and breaks the grip of the guy who's holding him and goes and grabs and hugs one of the stones, kisses one of the stones, and then security grabs him again. And all I'm thinking is, oh, please don't think, know that they're not with us. Please don't throw us out at this point. And then I was just like, I'm going to keep going as the other security guard didn't do anything, and, and they got ejected. Come to find out at the end of the ceremony, which was deep and wonderful and, and, and very intense. We had some time to take some photos and kind of check out the stone circle and, and talk to the guards a little bit who were great Stonehenge mm-hmm. you know, yeah, enthusiasts. They, they had photos from all the different solstices and equinoxes and things on their phones. It was fun. Um, they said that, you know, well, we looked at how they were dressed and we looked how you guys were dressed all in our black robes and cloaks and, and everything. And they're like, we probably figured they were not with you. And come to find out they hopped the fence from the highway to join us. That is so funny. I swear if the security guards hadn't interacted with them, I would swear that everybody had been hallucinating it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, it felt very surreal. Like, there was a moment where I was like, am I really between or am I really seeing a tiger guy? You know, is it is it psychic trance or, you know, is it yeah. disruptive kid? Yep. 
And I, so. I did see the same guy when folks pointed him out on the streets of Glastonbury and Dr- said that dressed as as um, a penguin, yeah, and um, a uh, sort of in a band outfit almost. I thought it was a beefeater guard. Oh, was it a beefeater? Yeah, okay, I thought that. Yeah. That one I didn't see personally. I saw the penguin outfit, though, and that was pretty crazy. Yeah, it was pretty surreal. I felt like we had our own wild things kind of following us around when we went to Glastonbury. But I just, I find that story so surreal. Like, we're going for this deep spiritual pilgrimage, and we have, you know, the trickster spirit kind of following us around as a tiger yeah, or a penguin. Yeah, only us. Yep. <laughs> so, anything else you want to share about Glastonbury? Um, just that, you know, it was such a terrific experience, and, you know, for the temple's first you know, pilgrimage event to a sacred site, you know, everything just came off so very well. And it was such a success that I'm really looking forward to being able to do other similar events at other sacred sites and other places around the world, because I think it was a great experience for everybody who went and, uh, you know, just a great opportunity. Yeah, there was a great bonding amongst the the 16, 15 of us, 16 of us. Yeah, 15. 15 of us. Um, and we're talking about possibly like a little brainstorm I got at the end about, you know, going to the different Celtic countries in the next year. So um, I'm trying to plan out uh, Wales will be next and thinking of this one really focused on the cup, you know, and the waters rising up from the underworld and thinking Wales dealing more with the staff or the wand and going to some of the sacred sites that are associated with Taliesin and Merlin and kind of these magician bard types. So yeah. I'm excited to see that come together, too. That sounds terrific. And Remember, folks, you heard it here first. Start making your plans now, you know, for a temple trip to Wales next year, probably during the summer. 2012 sometime. We'll get details as soon as we can. So thank you very much, everybody. Thank you for listening. So there are two <laughs> founders, and now you're going to hear from the third. So uh, my own experiences while we were there were very interesting. Um to me at least, I uh, did my Merkaba meditation every day um, while we were there, and I was also doing a um, mantra work for both protection and another personal issue. And every day I would wake up and I would go out into the gardens and do my meditation before we even left to go do something uh, or go see a site. So every day, I at least meditated two to three times a day. So um, it was very powerful, poignant time. And uh, one of the greatest parts of being at the Chalice Well was that the tour was right next door. And you could walk up to the top of the tour basically at any time. Um, we went up there just the me, Christopher, and Steve, uh, during the night of the full moon, which it was beautiful. And I wish that, you know, I could have taken some sort of picture to bring back to everyone, but it was a very wonderful and special moment, um, which we kind of got to have on our own, uh, at like one o'clock in the morning. And, um, but later on that week, I also woke up to climb the tour again and do my morning meditation there. And I was particularly blessed in the fact that for once, I mean, every time we went up, there were lots and lots of people. But when we went up there, 
or when I went up there on my own in the morning, there was no one but the sheep and me. So that was really special. And I got to meditate inside the St. Michael's Tower. And um, I did my Merkava meditation and could really feel the energy and the peace of the stones and the, you know, the tore itself and its vortex. And it was really beautiful and, you know, created a piece that traveled with me, which I, I really have enjoyed this past couple of months. One of the things that we were trying to do during the trip was to make connections to spirit and to the place, spirits of place. Um, during my meditation, um, I've already had sort of a contact with Sibylik as a, you know, mighty dead. And she gave me a couple of little pieces of wisdom while we were there. She was also very connected to Shay and would appear in her meditation as well. Um, <laughs> both times that she appeared, she said, Oh dear, darling, I have to go talk to the other one. See you later. And she'd disappear. And um, then, you know, she would be appear in someone else's meditation. Uh, she told me that I was following in her footsteps, for I have been to all of these places. And then she said she had to pop out. And uh, But the best part was when we were at Stonehenge, she appeared to me and said, In my day, our magic was all about our will. Rarely did we see the fact that will must be tempered by love and guided by the wisdom of spirit and past ages. I just thought that was a very interesting little thing where she took the three rays that we work with in our temple and put them into a like how magic has evolved and giving me that blessing to know that, you know, things have changed, though we are still walking in her footsteps. We also had a great experience going to look for Dion Fortune's grave, also known as Violet Flowers. Um, we'd been guided by one of Christopher's friends that was there, and given instructions on how to find it when we actually were in the um, cemetery. Steve had done a great little hoodoo, voodoo-ish ritual um, to open the way to the spirits of the place and, the, and to offer energy and libations to the spirits of the cemetery. We went in, and Christopher said, you know, there'll be a special prize for the person who can find Dion Fortune's grave. And then he gave us the instructions that his friend had given him, which was 12 rows in and 9 rows over. Or was it 9 rows in and 12 rows over? So we all sort of spread out, and uh, <laughs> it was dusk and getting darker by the minute, and we were all spread out looking for this grave, her grave. 
so that we could connect to her and uh, speak with her. And we're looking around, and finally, I felt like it was 20 minutes, maybe more, where we're looking for the grave, and we hadn't found it yet. And I got frustrated and um, a little exasperated with the fact that we hadn't found it yet. Here we are, you know, 15 witches searching the graveyard for her grave, and we couldn't find it. And so I said out loud, um, because I was by myself by then, I was back towards the beginning of the cemetery, I said out loud, all right, I know I'm just an ugly American, and I'm kind of gross, and, you know, I'm just here traveling, but, you know, spirits of this place, I would really like to find Dion Fortune's grave, also known as Violet Flowers, and you know, we've come here a really long way to connect to her. Can you please help me out? Now, instantly, I felt a tug on my stomach, which is um, the way that I usually douse for things when I've lost things. I've done this multiple times where I've body doused for something. Um, Once, I lost my keys at the bottom of a lake, and um in the in the beach area and i also doused for them by using this technique and stepped on my own keys and you know found them instantly so i i just followed the tug and walked right up to her grave and screamed out i found it to everyone else and they all came around and they're like how did you find it and you know i of course told them the story that I had, of course, you know, done the best magic that I usually do is when I'm exasperated. So uh, we found it, and everyone got to do their connection, and I feel like while we were there, I didn't really focus on connecting with Dion Fortune, because I felt like I was there to facilitate finding it. Um, And that that in itself was a reassurance that I had an ability to do these amazing things, these amazing psychic things. And I feel like no matter how many times it's worked for me, no matter how many times I, you know, predict something and it comes true or, you know, feel something and find it, there's always that feeling of a little bit of doubt, like, is it not going to work this time, or whatever, and it's nice to know that spirit says, hey, yes, of course you can do it, you just have to ask. So, with that note, I'm going to bring our podcast to an end. I hope you've enjoyed this program, and... We'll, you know, look forward to our trips in the future and our retreats in the future. We thank the Great Spirit and the two who move as one. We thank the three rays of love, will, and wisdom. We thank the God and Goddess who move through us and work with us. May we recognize your presence in our lives. Blessed be. Merry meet, merry part and Mary meet again. Blessed be everyone. You've been listening to Voices of the Temple. 
The contents of this podcast are copyright 2010 of the Temple of Witchcraft. For more information, please visit templeofwitchcraft.org.